It will arise as once before, in ages past when magic soared. Passing o'er the world, shore to shore, the wind, the fury, again shall roar. Welcome to the Swan Song Podcast by Eamon Cottrell and Brian Stallings. The Swan Song Podcast is the episodic audiobook for the fantasy novel John Swan Song and the Parada Isle. Episode 5. Rat and John slipped out of their hideout and made their way back to town. The Jasmine would soon be docking and they were eager to corner Tice and bring him back to the Duskin Woods for the trade. If they could get Tice without drawing too much attention, they figured they might get their hands on the smoke dust before the day was gone. Do you think he remembered? asked Rat. John paused. Well, even if he didn't, he's always got some sulfur. He's a gunner, after all. He nodded, seeming to convince himself as well. The two boys emerged from the hidden trail behind the fishhook. They looked around before jumping out of the bushes, not wanting to give away one of their shortcuts to the trails. They hurried along the boarded walkway, weaving through the afternoon crowd. There were always fishermen coming in with their catch at this time of day. Bakers were putting out their pre-dinner time batch of pies, savories, and breads, hoping to catch the eyes and nostrils of the hungry passerby. John's mouth watered as they passed by a counter where a huge loaf of hot bread had just been set out to cool. Rat paused, no doubt considering whether it would be worth it to snatch and run. Come on, John elbowed Rat. We don't have time to get into trouble today. Rat shrugged with a disappointed look, but they continued on. When they neared Danvid's booth, Rat tugged John to the side, and they made their way around back. Jeez, Rat, complained John. What did you do this time? John could get tired of his friend's constant antics, especially when he got dragged into the middle of them, but he couldn't resist a wry smile. Nothing, Rat said. He led the way around the back of several stands before returning to the boardwalk. Several piers reached out into the bay from the boardwalk that John and Rat were on. Alongside the longest of them was the jasmine. Its heartwood body gleamed in the afternoon sunlight, and the boys marveled at its deep shine. Like the fishhook, Abram's ship was a deep red, so dark that it looked black when cast in shadows. Its masts rose much higher than any of the skiffs or boats that the island's inhabitants used for fishing. It was truly a beautiful and at the same time strange vessel. John couldn't quite put his finger on it. Beyond the heartwood's unique color, the jasmine was simply different. Looks like they've been docked for a while. John pointed upwards toward the small booth at the end of the long dock. There was an assortment of artifacts, necklaces, arrows, knives, and ropes laid out on the counter and hanging from the side of the makeshift structure. A man was buying a net, and as he flung it over his shoulder and walked away, they saw a girl about their age putting his payment in a small box. Reeling in the money, John said, chuckling at his own joke. John knew that nets were favored by fishermen. His pa had purchased a small one two summers ago, and he couldn't stop singing its praises. The lightweight cloth was made from a shrub that only grew on bentol, and the bentonese had developed a weaving technique that bound together long strands in nearly impenetrable lengths of rope. 
It was as light as a feather and as strong as iron. The girl caught their gaze and her eyes slanted. Instantly, she knew they were talking about her, and John could tell she was not one who enjoyed being talked about, at least not where she couldn't hear what was being said. He had trouble taking his eyes off her, and she never broke the gaze. John thought he might have misjudged her initially. She looked more inquisitive than irritated, really. Let's go see what she's selling. Rat started toward the booth, but John yanked his arm back. First things first, do you want to get the dust or not? John glanced back at the girl, who was still glaring at them, and guided Rat back toward the jasmine. Two deckhands, carrying a long bundle over their shoulders, stepped off the plank from the jasmine and walked past John and Rat as they made their way toward the ship. John was fairly sure he couldn't get in trouble for merely getting on a ship, but at the same time knew that was the sort of excursion he probably should have asked his paw about. He looked back toward the line of merchants on the shore once more, and then hopped up the plank and onto the jasmine. The girl looked up from her counter again, and John thought he made out a grin as she flipped her reddish hair out of her eyes. As many times as Abram had been to Labrie, and as friendly as he'd always been to John and his paw, John had only ever admired his ship from afar. Sure, Abram had invited him and Pa aboard many times, but he'd never gone alone. He realized his palms were starting to sweat. The boys looked around as they stepped foot on the deck. Rat, for the first time that day, seemed to slow down from his frantic pace. John was used to him running around wreaking havoc, but for the first time, he had actually paused. John followed his gaze upward. The jasmine's huge masts with their patchwork shrouds crept up to the sky. Her massive, verseless sails folded on the deck, tangled spider webs of rope spun in every direction. She was a far cry from any fishing vessel either of the boys had been on. John had to nudge his friend to get his attention back. Down to the hold, John said. Tice will either be down there or somewhere along Merchant's Row. We very well could have walked past him. You know how he loves the hook. John could have hit himself for not thinking of checking there earlier. Just before stepping down into the hold, John looked up and saw the massive wheel. He felt a twinge of deja vu and, frowning, went for a closer look. He held on to the railing as he climbed up to the steering deck and wondered how wood could remain so smooth. It felt as though it had been sanded to a smooth sheen and had a fresh coat of varnish applied that very morning. But more remarkable than the railing was the wheel itself. Now that he was up close to it, he saw that though it looked like an ordinary wheel from further back, there were two strange rods attached to the center. Each rod was carved with intricate spiral scroll work. John wrapped one with his knuckle, and a low ringing sang out. It was metal. John stretched his arms out wide and gripped either side of the wheel by two of the wooden handles sticking out. A breeze drifted through the deck, and John imagined he was on the high seas, steering the ship away from pirates and through treacherous coves. When he opened his eyes, he glanced at some of the carvings on the heartwood wheel. His eyes widened. Rat! John looked around for his friend, but Rat was nowhere to be seen. Perry, Abram's burly but generally quiet first mate, 
came up from the hold and gave John a long, cold stare before jumping onto the dock. John shivered. He got along with Abram and Tice and a couple others all right, but the sea was a hard place for hard men. He hoped whoever that had been hadn't seen him pretending to steer. As he started to make his way down into the hold to find Rat, he heard a commotion from below. What are you doing down here, boy? John heard something hit the wall. It sounded like a pan. And as it clanged to the floor, Rat shot up the stairs, breathless. Time to go. Tice isn't there. Rat smirked before adding, but I found a bit of sulfur. Rat held up his clenched fist for a moment, and John saw that it was covered in a yellow powder. Rat had apparently rooted around below deck, spotted Tice's stash, and grabbed a handful of sulfur before dashing back up the stairs. They hurried across the deck toward the dock, but standing in front of the plank was a tall, dark, robed figure. His face was hidden under his hood, and John's heart jumped into his throat. John scanned the edge of the ship for another escape. Quick, this way! They turned to the left and sprinted toward the side. They vaulted up and over the side, coming down with a bang on the dock next to the ship. Ouch! John yelled as he hit the boarded deck and rolled. He got up and put some weight on his foot. It was tender, but he had not fully twisted it. They looked back at the man on the jasmine. He'd turned to watch them, but he made no effort to follow. Just then, however, another man came running toward the plank, shoved the robe figure aside, and commenced yelling at Rat. Get back here, you little brat! Uh-oh, Rat said. Come on! They took off down the boardwalk, and as they shot through the crowds, they began to put some distance between themselves and their pursuer. He was heavyset, and it was easy to outrun him, even with a sore foot. They came to the girl's stand they had been watching earlier, and before John could protest, Rat had run around back and ducked under the counter. John figured it was as good a hiding place as any. There was enough space so that they were completely hidden from any passing glances. The girl gasped at the sudden invasion and gave John an intense glare. Her eyes were a sharp blue, and John would have thought them very pretty had she not looked ready to kill him. Before she could start yelling at Rat, both boys put a finger to their lips, begging her to stay quiet. Luckily for them, she paused for another second and turned back to the counter, just in time to see the man who had been chasing them. Well, hello, Minute. Sarah smiled at the man. He was out of breath and had stopped yelling. Hey there, Sarah, he huffed. He put his hands on the counter and wiped his forehead. Did you see those two brats running by here? Sarah saw beads of sweat dripping down the side of his head and wrinkled her nose. Which brats would that be? She faked another big smile. Never mind, Minute sighed. He looked back and forth along the row of merchants and realized the chase was lost. Just a couple of young'uns I caught thieving around on the ship. One of them snatched a handful of saffron from my stash. Worth a couple pieces of silver, that is. All the way from flame. He trailed off and turned around. Well, I'll be seeing you later, Sarah. John waited a moment for a minute to walk off and then elbowed Rat in the side. Saffron? He grabbed Rat's hand, and they both looked down at the pasty clump of yellow powder that clung to his palm, wet with perspiration. 
How should I have known, eh? Rat spat back. All you said was yellow powder, he complained. Here. Sarah held out a piece of cloth. Rat shook out the small bit of saffron into the cloth as the two stood up, and Sarah tied it shut. I'll take this back to him. Maybe tell him that I saw you two running by after he left. She smiled at John. The same wide smile that she'd given Minute. Only John thought this one was real. He tried to smile back, but it came out as an awkward grimace, and he quickly looked away. She turned and put the cloth on the front counter, and as soon as her back was to them, Rat shot his hand out with lightning speed and grabbed a necklace with a white jagged centerpiece that was lying within reach. John raised his eyebrow, but there was nothing he could do to stop Rat. So, Sarah said, facing them again, I, for one, think you're lucky. She let out a giggle and looked back and forth between the two boys. What do you mean? blurted Rat. Well, you don't have to be a genius to figure out what you were really trying to pinch. And you do not want to be on Tice's bad side. John couldn't think of anything to say. That seemed to be happening more frequently around some of the island girls as well. He just shrugged and looked away. Did you make all these? He blurted out, focusing on the necklaces around them. Pausing first, as if deciding whether to accept the change of subject, Sarah said, Sure did. Take this one, for instance. She stopped and put it back down. No, that's not it. She rummaged through the small assortment of necklaces and bracelets. Most consisted of a center stone bound together by simple strands of thin leather or braided versla, but they were impressive. The stones had been chiseled and buffed into very smooth, colorful pieces of artwork. Sarah's smile began to fade. I just finished a new one, a shark tooth necklace, and I know it was right here a second ago. She searched frantically as Rat began to back up. It took John another moment to decide whether to flee or stay, but he ended up siding with Rat as the two ducked back out from under the counter. Good luck finding that. See you later, John said, feeling as though he owed her that much at least. Sarah realized what was happening too late. She turned, now furious, long red waves of hair thrown over her shoulder as she whipped around. John and Rat disappeared back into the crowd. Before they'd gotten far, they were grabbed by the shirts and yanked to a stop. When they looked back, though, instead of minutes glare, they saw John's paw smiling at them. Where do you think you two are off to, running around like the wind? asked Rowan. We were headed back to the hook to see you and Abram, John said quickly. Oh, were you now? Rowan was still smirking at the boys. He knew they were usually up to mischief when they went barreling through town, but their boyish excitement made him remember his own youth, and he was never very hard on John. He felt sympathy mostly for Rat, and was glad that John had become his friend when he had needed one. Well, here I am, and I'm headed to visit with Abram right now. He said he has something important he needs to discuss with me, so why don't you head home and get some supper started for us? I'll be by to eat it in a bit, and maybe Abram will join us. He turned and started walking toward the fish hook, and only pointed over his shoulder toward their house when John started to protest. John wasn't too upset, though. 
All the running around had made him quite hungry. 